0: Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Homage to the Buddha, the Blessed, Noble and Fully Self-Enlightened One. Um, I wanted to, you know, bring all the teachings a little bit together for you using a a schema that the Buddha himself um, seems to have liked very much. In fact, um, he said until he'd understood the world this way, he hadn't attained the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment. So these three moments are um, important. Uh, They're translated as... Gratification, Danger and Escape and I'll read the the discourse it's only a little thing O monks, I set out seeking the gratification in the world whatever gratification there is in the world that I have found I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the gratification in the world extends I set out seeking the danger in the world Whatever danger there is in the world, that I found. I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the danger in the world extends. I set out seeking an escape from the world. Whatever escape there is from the world, that I have found. I have clearly seen with wisdom how far the escape from the world extends. And then to complement that in another discourse, he says... If monks there were no gratification in the world beings would not become enamoured with the world but it is because there is gratification in the world beings become enamoured with it If there were no danger in the world beings would not become disenchanted with the world but because there is danger in the world beings become disenchanted with it And if there were no escape from the world beings could not escape from it but as there is an escape from the world, beings can escape from it. So <clears throat> this little uh, schema, gratification, um, danger and escape. Yeah? So none of this will come as you, to you as a surprise. <laughs> it's, it's what you've been sort of listening to uh, all the time you've been here so this word gratification I, I looked it up you see because I think it's a good translation I've tended to use the word satisfaction uh, but Bhikkhu Bodhi uses his word gratification I mean he does translate this particular Pali word with it but I think it's actually a better word in a way, some ways anyway than satisfaction and I looked it up in the dictionary and um, it gave two examples she was gratified to see the shock in Jim's face <laughs> And uh, one that shouldn't surprise us. A thirst for sexual gratification. So this <laughs> this word gratification I think has a slightly stronger meaning than satisfaction. It's um, It suggests that sort of compulsive behaviour or a sort of demanding nature about the desire, about desires that we have. And um, so I just think it's a, probably a slightly better word for us than... than uh, Gratification than satisfaction. Uh, Let me just, just a minute. I think there was another discourse there. I think I meant to read out. Maybe I've got confused. Just a minute. (coughs) Yeah, no. Um, So now if we go back to the Buddha's own particular you know, life story, um, there is that time, there's a little incident which comes up when he's, uh, uh, you know, having um, a good time, uh, sort of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and he's just had a party, and he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees all these uh, men and women, uh, all disheveled and saliva dripping from their. <laughs> he goes into great detail of how disgusting it was and uh, it's that when he wakes up from the gratification that he's had from the party before hmm? so there's something about um, the search for gratification in the sensual world now, now why is it that we, we seek um, you know, happiness there why is that? See, there's no denial on the Buddha's part that there is gratification in the world. You know, I mean, there is gratification in, in ice cream and Costa Coffee and all those things that, that we um, enjoy. So there is gratification. It's not that he denies that. It would be foolish of him to do so. Yeah? And what is it that uh, draws us to that then? Why is it that we seek it there? So if we go back a little bit into say the sequence of our psychology remember that we're born into this frame we're born into this body and right from the beginning uh, you know we're seeking milk because it's nice to taste and it comforts us seek the touch of our mothers hmm? so there's there's an immediate connection uh, right there even in the womb they say you know with the voice of, of your mother and things like that where uh, that unborn and the born child uh, finds pleasure, finds pleasure. And this, this pleasure isn't just physical, is it? It's, it's actually an emotional well being, well being of being protected uh, and of being close to some other being. So it's right there at the beginning of our uh, experience, I think. Now it's no, uh, shouldn't uh, be strange for us to realize or to to accept that right there even though it's not an intellectual thing, there's an immediate, there's a total identity with that experience. There's an identity with it. I mean obviously the child's not saying this is me. (coughs) It's just the way they experience life. It's a total identity with what what they are experiencing. And I think that goes on. Uh, I would say an ordinary person would say they are what they experience in that total I- identity way and uh, what, we f- what, we, what we tend to do isn't it, is to try and develop comfort around us, we want to be comfortable, even in our sitting posture if it gets a bit comfortable there's that urge to move, you now if you watch yourself watching TV sometimes you, there's a shuffle here and there, See, as soon as it becomes slightly uncomfortable we move the body even at that sort of very basic physical level, we're always trying to be comfortable. Hmm? And when it comes to the more delightful things, you know, uh, you know the, what we eat and our friendships and, and all that, um, then there, of course, there's a, there's an added factor of, of real delight. Yeah, there's, there's there's loveliness in life. There's beauty in life. There's there's all the things that we enjoy. All these things, the Buddha wouldn't have denied. He it's, it's, it, "There is gratification. There is gratification." So, if you go through the whole gamut of your experiences in life, where um, you know you've been happy, um, from just ordinary basic things like eating, to you know lovely times in relationships and and being out in the country and listening to beautiful music, and in the meditation, sometimes these. Beautiful states of mind arise. All that is, as it were, given. I mean, they're going to come, hopefully, till we die. It's not a, it's not as though they're going to disappear because we meditate. At least, I hope not. (laughs) So, so there's always that. uh, There's always that part of life which gives us, uh, you know, comfort, pleasure, joy, all those things. And even in our meditation, you know, we're trying to develop these factors of enlightenment to the point where they are just the way we are so there is that calmness and there is that uh, equanimity and an openness and, and what that means of course there is no fear it's fear what stops us being open isn't it and there's uh, uh, just an attention a quiet attention to things and then there's the uh, the four great Brahma Viharas the dwelling place of the of the Brahmas the great gods um, perhaps better understood as the illimitables love, compassion, joy and peace so that's the Buddha mind or the Buddha heart shall we say Is always in that sort of state I think sometimes we get the impression through the coolness of Vipassana meditation that, that you end up being sort of soulless or emotionless sort of a, well, a bit like a dried like a prune I suppose <laughs> but very wise well, I mean, it isn't like that, is it? <laughs> the Buddha, uh, the Buddha says he feels joyful, feels happy, he feels uh, compassionate. Yeah, so uh, his his experience of life at the emotional level is always in in these lovely, beautiful states. Always in these beautiful states. But somehow he uh, he's not fooled by it. He's not in this sense. He's not gratified. He's not gratified. So. Um, what is it that makes this gratification in the joys and pleasures of life um, unsatisfactory? Not, not in the end, gratifying. So, um, basically, very simple, isn't it? They, the fact they arise and pass away. You know, just when you think you've got everything sorted, um, you know, somebody chucks a spanner, and that's, <laughs> and that's the end of it. You know, you, you try and build up a life which is. Uh, meaningful and fulfilling you know a good job a relationship and all that and then uh, you know your your partner dies (laughs) or they leave or the job suddenly disappears so you can't there's nowhere you can sort of rest I love love the sayings of Jesus on that you know the, the birds have their nests and the foxes their holes but the son of man has nowhere to put his head and I think that's it isn't it there's nowhere there's nowhere in this world that a human being is going to be is going to be comfortable in that total way hmm? and then when we come to investigate the psychology around pleasure, then we see all these all these uh, downsides, the frustration when you know like because of the attachment that you've built to it, because of the dependency on what's giving you happiness um, there comes that uh, frustration when you can't get it, you know? and there's the uh, the fear of losing it, you know? and all the insurance that we, we have to buy in order, just in case we do lose it, that so we can buy another one. Yeah, you know? and then there's the uh, the grief, of course, when you do lose it. <laughs> so there's a whole, a whole messy psychology of, in the aftermath of having, uh, of having indulged in something that's that's very pleasurable. Or joyful, and uh, and that sort of connection, that identity, you see, is the root cause, isn't it? It's because I'm saying I am, you know, I am, or I have. There's that there's that peculiar connection with things that we have, which is uh, is very subtle, uh, but it manifests mainly in uh, you know in in these negative emotions and that indulgence. Hmm? so it's, it's catching that it's understanding that that we've begun to see the danger see there's the danger of it in fact these things these things hurt and then uh, having seen that danger you know one seeks for the escape so that's the Buddha so he, uh, he saw the danger of uh, the emptiness the, the vacuity of sensual pleasure it like wasn't going anywhere and that's when he leaves, and he's prepared even to leave, um, you know, his wife and his kid, his, his, young, just his, his child that was just born. So I mean, those those sorts of decisions wouldn't have been taken lightly, would they? I mean, uh, people are called away from their families for various reasons, for war. and women go to war, um, uh, and in this case, uh, the Buddha felt, or the Buddhist sapri would have been then, uh, just just compelled to go and try and, and work out what was you know, what was at the, the core of his, of his deep-seated unhappiness. And I think when you get to that level, you're really at the sort of uh, an existential level of suffering. And what I mean by that is you know questions of you know why am I alive and why am I conscious And in, in the Buddha's uh, more immediate uh, experiential question, uh, why am I suffering? why am I suffering, couldn't work it out Um, when we do in the evening when we go through these uh, recollections on sickness, old age and death you know which refer back to uh, the mythical sort of way that they explain that the Buddha slowly came to uh, awoke really to these factors of life, you know seeing somebody who was sick, old and die while he was out uh, in his chariot Uh, remember he also sees an ascetic he also sees this Ascetic sitting under a tree, and that, um, that awakens in him. You know, is there, is there an escape? Is there a possibility of an escape? Now, just going back a little bit on, uh, on the psychology of this, remember that um, because of this deep identity that we have with this life form, with being a human being there isn't just that side of greed, there isn't just that side of lust and, uh, and seeking happiness in the sensual world and uh, indulgence, you can put it all as indulgence or acquisitiveness. Um, as soon as we've done that, remember, as soon as we hold on to something, uh, we put a sort of fence around it, we put a barrier around it. And that defines what our pleasures are. So anything beyond that boundary becomes unpleasant, right? It becomes something that we don't want or we don't need. <clears throat> so our attitude to something which is unpleasant, <clears throat> but which is neither here nor there, is to ignore it. <clears throat> That's what we mean by neutral feelings. We don't uh, we don't get particularly angry about it. We just we just don't notice it. <clears throat> but as soon as these things outside this fence, outside this boundary, begin to uh, look a bit dangerous to us, look as though it's undermining what we own and what we identify with, then then you start getting this these the negative things of aversion, you know, the pushing away, and the, the anger and the hatred and the spite and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that all comes under this, there's been aversion. And in our meditation, it's boredom, that's, that's an averse state, be bored. And included in that, remember, is that when these things that seem to be undermining us, seem to be overpowering us, then we start getting this other side of anxiety and fear. And it all comes down to this basic position of seeking gratification in the world. And then once we've, once we've established in, in childhood this way of behaving, then you can see how it moves into a, a different a, another layer of psychology when we hit the whole problem of, of good and evil see? so when we do good and we attach to it then of course you get into this uh, the business the, the downside of, um, uh, of really using compassion using love using sympathetic joy in order to make yourself happy so when the other person, for instance, doesn't appreciate what you've done, then you feel hurt, you feel broken, you feel, <laughs> you feel angry. Things like that, you know, what I've done for you and all that. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, on, on the other side, you've got this fear. Uh, sorry, on the other side, uh, you've got the evil, right? Evil in the, in, in the sense of doing what is harmful. It can be something rather unskillful, you know, which, which is neither here nor there. But we're capable of doing great evil, you know, really doing something which is tremendously harmful, both to ourselves and to other beings. And then you get into all that other psychology of guilt and shame and remorse and, and all that. And you can see how all this builds up, up and up and up, until you get, you know, this mass of human suffering stuck in this fathom-long body, as the, as the Buddha would uh, would call it, this fathom-long body. Um, and it all begins from this this mistake this this unfortunate mistake we make at the beginning of seeking gratification in, in the world in the sensual world so all those things that all are all linked they're all they're all there and of course when, when you suppress them when you don't push them away uh, sorry when you push them away when you when you don't want to look at these turbulences these negative turbulences within us well, that's when they manifest as feelings of depression. As feelings of depression and, and um, you know, tiredness and, and lethargy and all that. All those are, you know, I like push them away, I don't want to see them, keep them away. So when you're meditating, of course, all this starts to come up, doesn't it? You know, it's like, I think I say on one of the tapes, like lifting a lid off a dustbin. So suddenly it all comes up. So suddenly the depression comes up now, you know, and, and you've, got to, you've got to see it as a consequence of past conditioning, okay? you've got to see that actually you've, you know, we've manufactured this. This isn't come because, uh, you know, your mother hit you around the, the ear with a banana when you were three years old or something. <laughs> she might have done, but <laughs> it's how you reacted to this banana, which is which is causing all this problem. Okay? Now that doesn't mean to say that you know, uh, childhood is, is is fraught with it's um, fraught with both ecstatic joy and, and disaster and it needn't be that any, any parent has actually uh, physically or purposefully done your harm you can just fall off a of bed and it would be a <laughs> catastrophe which remains as a trauma inside you uh, but even so uh, there is that how the child has reacted and there's that continuation of all those things that we learn in childhood throughout life you see until it, until we get really bad, and then and then we look and we try and find an answer. And we come to meditation. So, uh, <clears throat> when we are when we're meditating, you see, we're opening the gates. We're sort of opening ourselves up to all the stuff that's been suppressed and all that. But also from this, uh, you know, from this understanding, we're beginning to see the danger of this wrong relationship we have to the world. Hmm? And it's seeing that danger, you see, which is uh, which is painful. It's hard to it's hard to sit with it. It's hard to bear with some of the stuff that comes up. But um, there's no other way. It's uh, there. There doesn't seem to be any other way of uh, of curing our psychology except in this conscious way. You know, uh, drugs don't help. They just suppress. They just suppress the physical frame, don't they? and then, you know, you feel good but when the drug passes, it's even worse see, there doesn't seem to be I don't know of any of any spiritual practice whereby you don't have to go through this purging, you know, purgatory Um, the process of purification it's just a a matter of fact Hmm? but if you understand it as a growth in consciousness as a growth in wisdom and you see there's no other way, because how else would you know, you know, that the gratification is wrong? How else would you know that there is danger? How else would you how else would you seek the end of uh, the end of suffering? Okay. so if you if you see your life as more to do with an evolution of wisdom, or an evolution of consciousness, right? Perhaps the word wisdom is, is far better actually, an evolution of wisdom, and not to confuse wisdom with uh, you know with knowledge. Wisdom is a, a relationship. It's how you relate to the world you're in. That's, that's your wisdom. Hmm? And if you see that, that that's, what, that's what you're doing through your meditation is to uh, discover a, a wiser way of being with the world <clears throat> then in a sense you're prepared to sort of go through the purgatory. Hmm? And also I think when you, when you actually go through the purgatory when you actually see that it is a process of healing, you're more and more open to actually going through it. Okay? So that's important. It's important that you you actually see that there is gratification, and that somehow something goes wrong with that. And this is what we mean by indulgence, whether it's indulgence in something which is um, uh, you know pleasant or indulgence in something which is outwardly unpleasant, like anger. But it is pleasing to let go of your anger and you know bang the door and somebody on the nose very pleasing great gratification (laughs) finally get your own back I mean (laughs) but it's not but it's not you know it's not it's not particularly skillful it's not particularly wise so um, it's it's actually beginning to see that uh, that we begin to see the path out you see and that's the that's the next business of it the nisarana the escape you see if there were no escape from the world then uh, boy it'd be miserable wouldn't it I mean, you know most uh, and, and people who get themselves into these dead ends you know these oh i don't know these sort of dead ends of of um, the meaninglessness of life you know or if or a religious person i've met a few people who think they're damned what do you do you know, they're damned now in buddhist terms that's to under that's to really believe that there's no escape from samsara that whether you like it or not you'll be reborn and reborn reborn uh, you know first as a shrew in a meditation room and then you get chucked out with a bit of cheese on the <laughs> out in a paddock <laughs> and then you're reborn as a human being picking up a shrew and chucking it out in the g- <laughs> and this this a lot of constant samsara this onward going and uh, in the in the buddha's day that was the horror i mean that was it wasn't ecological disaster it was it was this thing about having to be reborn and reborn and reborn again. And uh, there's a lovely conversation in one of the scriptures, I can't remember the details now, where where two of the Buddha's cousins, if I remember rightly, decide that, you know, discussing whether to go, uh, whether to actually take up the, uh, whether to follow uh, Gautama and, and take up the robe and bowl, And um, uh, the argument goes something like, look, um, what is life you're going to all you have you got to go out there you have got to plow the ground you have got to harvest the seed and you got to eat it and then you do it again next year and it's really boring and one of them one of the uh, um, one of them gets really into this and says yeah you're right, you're right. <laughs> and he goes up but the other fellow says no it's for you i'm still i'm still enjoying this <laughs> so <laughs> but he doesn't leave you see he's still getting he's still getting something out of this out of the life form but it was this fellow who was pointing out to this man who finally leaves how terrible life is in this sort of you know, boring, repet- repetitious way. Which I think would have been more, um, perhaps more obvious to people in those days, in, in, in some ways anyway, uh, because there wasn't this huge entertainment industry. It reminds me of uh, <clears throat> an old uh, pre-war comedian, uh, no, no, it was on TV. That must have been ballspalling. <laughs> and he's uh, he's going to jump. He's on a London Bridge, and he's going to jump in, and the policeman sees him, and uh, he says, he says uh, "You know, oi, oi!" And he calls him over. You see, and, and they start having this big discussion about life, you see, as to why uh, suicide. And the policeman's arguing, you know, that life's worth it, and and the, the comedian is, is asking, you know, how useless it is you know, and the conversation goes on and on and they finally jump both of them jump off the bridge <laughs> oh, that, that's brilliant <laughs> yeah you're right and this young fellow jumps off with him so um, this finding of the escape so that's the Buddha's great um, uh, great thing isn't it and he, he says that what he's discovered he's, he's not invented it uh, you know, he says this is an ancient path. He's just rediscovered it. It's not as though he's, you know, he's the first human being that's ever done it. He doesn't claim to be that. In fact, in in the mythology of Buddhism, there are Buddhas previous to him, going back I don't know how many times twenty eight there are twenty eight previous Buddhas named in previous huge eons of, of world systems. You know, <clears throat> um, it was just the way that. You begin to think when you think of of time being cyclic. I think I mentioned it this morning, that, you know, the years just roll over, it just keeps going, and the the whole universe is expanding, and then it'll collapse, and then it expands again and collapse. you know. So there's that idea that this has been going on ever since. He, He says that he doesn't see the beginning of karma. He doesn't see that there is a beginning. It's always been like this and uh, presumably in that sense he doesn't see the end of that process Uh, but as an individual he found an escape now this escape is not um, be careful here because this escape um, as hopefully you've all come to uh, realize in your meditation is not the destruction of the world there's a very interesting discourse in which somebody asks him where do the four mahabhutas come to an end now, the, the four Mahabhusa, the four elements, the four great elements, um, they are earth, fire, water, and air. And they constitute the physical universe. <clears throat> so what the person is asking is, you know, where does all this come to an end? You see? And he says, it's the wrong question. He says, where do they not find a footing? It's very interesting. Where do they not find a footing? In other words, is there an experience, is there something experiential where you will not find these but it doesn't deny their existence or destroy them or annihilate them. And then he goes on to say there is a consciousness which is uh, uh, not touched by the five or six senses so there is, a, there is a consciousness which is not colored by the six senses so there's no hearing and there's no seeing and there's no there's nothing there there's no thought there's nothing and yet it is without boundary and the, the, the reason it's without boundary is because there's no phenomena Yeah, you've got to have something to create a boundary if there's nothing in this universe then it's, it's empty space there's no boundary in it it's what, it's what we have uh, it's the things we have that create boundaries for us and he says there is this concept which is without boundary and in all directions full of light okay? so he's pointing there to an experience which is a total escape um, from the world now remember that when we say an escape he's still there it's not as though he's disappeared in a puff of smoke and there's just this sort of mystical voice <laughs> arising from nowhere so this escape is not is not the destruction of anything so again when when uh, he says you know when they ask him uh, what is this does he believe in any form of annihilation he says no he says there is no he said everything arises depending on something else and there's there's no there's no annihilation. He says the only things that are annihilated are greed, hatred, and delusion. Okay? And greed, hatred, and delusion are this way of expressing this wrong relationship we have to the world, which, in a psychological sense, is this seeking gratification. And that's what he means by this desire. That's what, when we chant in the morning this tanha. That's what he's referring to. Okay? But uh, remember that uh, there's a completely different psychology and that's the psychology of the Buddha that's the psychology of the of the enlightened being which doesn't have that uh, downer, it doesn't have that gratification it doesn't have all the downers of gratification you know the grief, the fear, the anger, the frustration all that sort of stuff, it doesn't have that it doesn't have any anger, it doesn't have any fear, the fearless one that's, what we, that's one of the epithets of the Buddha, it's fearless what's he afraid of there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no connection to the world whereby uh, suffering could arise yeah? how does suffering arise it arises through the connection of attachment identity, possession if that's all gone what then is our relationship to the world yeah? what, could it, what might it be so that escape, that escape is suggested is suggestive of all the teachings of the Buddha concerning the practice, which leads us to this point of liberation. It's an escape. It's uh, you know, it's like it's like uh, escaping from prison. It's like like you you're finally released. So now this is where our practice comes in, because it's uh, it's a fundamental practice. And what we're learning is not only to see that gratification is wrong, because it has these dangers, mm, but we're seeing this escape, and that's all we're doing. We're just seeing where the escape is. And the more the escape becomes clearer to us, then the more we'll practice, because it's like you know when 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 you see uh, the finishing line, you really want to go for it, yeah. yeah. So um, even in our practice when uh, we're confused or when we, we, don't, we don't think we're getting anywhere or we don't think we're progressing, I mean, that's, that's a regular one for meditators because you, know, you, you still keep you know, doing these pratfalls and you think, <laughs> and you think well, I, I'm still as I was before, you see. So if you have those sorts of feelings, those sorts of ideas about yourself, remember that all those come from this gratification you're now seeking gratification, as it were, in the spiritual life. Meaning you're seeking a certain type of comfort there. And that comfort usually comes from the sense of achieving. Okay? But if you, if you abandon those ideas of trying to achieve anything and draw that word simply into moment-to-moment mindfulness, then you're always achieving as, as long as you're mindful. You're always here. See? And that mindfulness, that sharp mindfulness, is a guard because as, as we begin to realize the problem begins or starts with these intentions so when we see these intentions and we're awake we're, we're bright with it and we're not caught up in it we're not sort of suddenly dashing off and doing something yeah then that gives us that moment of choice and, that, and then we begin to see oh here's the escape here's the escape and uh, when we access that point within us which is the observer so that's not the fullest escape because there's still a sense of me there but we can see that that's an escape from all the pain that the body might offer us Yeah, because from there we can feel the pain we can see the reaction to pain we can allow the reaction of fear and aversion all that to die away and we can find this equanimity this peacefulness with pain just this just this patient forbearance and that's an escape it's an escape from, from all the fear and the, and the anxiety that, that we have around the body it's the same with these emotions when you distance them when you can feel them there rather than being them it's an escape isn't it you've transcended them you're in a different position you're not, you're not identifying with them you're not possessing them you're saying oh look there there's anger there's grief there's uh, depression and it's seeing that clearly that the, that we begin to say oh here's the escape here's the escape it doesn't mean to say at all does it that it's easy very it's very difficult in fact to stay with these uh, mental states as they arise but the more we see that this is the escape the more we'd be happy to stay there the more we see it actually as a place where uh, there's healing going on And then finally, you know, all, all this takes a long time. So uh, there is always that there is always going to be that little bit of self left, right to the bitter end. <laughs> it's not going to let go. Uh, so there is always going to be these pratfalls on the way. There is always going to be, there is always going to be moments when we feel we've slipped back and, and we're not we're not moving forward and all that. But we have to keep reminding ourselves that you know this is this is um, an onward going. This is a, a long term commitment. I mean, in, you know, in in, uh, in the in, in the Buddhist sense, I mean, we're talking lifetimes, not just we're not just talking this life. So it's a, a whole process that we're going through. So um, there we have it: these uh, these three sort of um, ways of looking at our practice. Know, to be aware of where we're seeking comfort, where we're seeking gratification, uh, to see that greed, that lust, the avarice—we've got lovely, got great big words for all that, you know—all centering around uh, you know, the four great, the four great lusts: you know, power, riches, fame, fame—to be famous, powerful, and rich. Everybody really wants to do that. Don't <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty simple. And what do you want to be? I want to be famous, powerful and rich and it's uh, your pleasure they're, they're your four main areas aren't they and it's just to see how the mind is constantly sort of moving that way it's always, it's always trying to achieve that, that particular state hmm? and uh, that renunciation you see is, th- is the point where we allow that, that desire to, to just fade away just begin to release itself, and as I pointed out in the morning, this—you know—to let—to let any desire fade away, and then just—just just to stay with it long enough to see what the mind is, what the heart is when there's no desire there. See that—that that lovely contentment, and then with it there comes the peace. You see, and hopefully you're beginning to experience that even during these times of quiet abiding, where we're trying to develop. Um, you know the uh, the more passive side of the factors of enlightenment the calmness calmness of the body just being still calmness of the heart yeah? stillness of so the silence of the mind so all that comes under calmness in a way and the attentiveness just the ability to just be attentive focused not not particularly focused on any one thing but just to be here you know, and to to focus on whatever arises and passes away, a sort of very spacious, open awareness, right? and the equanimity, just that ability, just the openness to what's coming into our field of awareness, okay? and just every so often to be like that, and just to rest within the present moment. You see, relaxing into the present moment, wide awake and then as you do that after when it passes you know to ask yourself now what was that like? You know, was, that, was that a pleasant place to be? Now fair enough we can get attached to that too and then it becomes and our practice becomes a sort of quietism you know that we're just seeking this lovely quiet place you know leave me alone <laughs> get out of my way <laughs> but then of course that's balanced because we then bring in these other factors the more active factors of the, of the process which is that interest the interest of wanting to see, the effort to to uh, to make to, to to begin to see things, and uh, you know the the effort to sort of remain at that point of interest, and the investigation of the Dharma. Okay. So <clears throat> during your day, try to balance those things. Yeah. Just go through your day and say, well, this is when I'm practicing this samatha type meditation, you know, peaceful peaceful abiding, and this is when I'm doing Vipassana. And get to know yourself, know where your weak points are during the day, say, well now here I've got to, you know, I mustn't fall asleep again, <laughs> or here I just let my mind go, you know, I sort of give up effort at this particular point in the day. And just catch your rhythms, you know, they're, they're probably also to do with just the natural rhythms of our bodies, you know, the circadian rhythms as they call them, you know. I think that's right, isn't it? Circadian, yeah. So there's all those rhythms going on too. You see. So uh, once we've attained, once we've got to this to this point of uh, observation, then we can we can see all this happening. Right. So let's just pause for a moment, and just whatever thoughts come up, let them come up and pass away. So, let me encourage you to, uh, you know, keep putting in that little bit of effort. Um, for, you know, Nick and Sarah have been here now for two weeks, you see. It's sort of coming to the end, so you have to be careful that, that your energy level doesn't doesn't drop, you know. <clears throat> More like the long-distance runner, you know, like when you see that wire. <laughs> You've got to put on that little extra spurt, you know, to get there. So that's important, you know. And um, this is about your fourth day, isn't it, now, Gene? So in a sense, you, uh, hopefully, you'll be sort of at more at ease with the, with the schedule, with the regime. You see. So with that, there's a danger of, you know, well, this is, this is now easier now. And there's a, a drop of, of commitment, a drop of energy. So you've got, to keep, you've got to keep lifting it. You've got to keep seeing where the effort begins to drop. you just very gently push yourself that's what one of my teachers say push gently and then you see the energy comes the energy comes so keep going that's all there is to it may you be liberated sooner rather than later